0: Welcome back to another episode of ICO 101, a Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. As you know, our mission is to give crypto and blockchain entrepreneurs the tools and tactics to break into and level up in the crypto and blockchain industry. This week's episode, I wanted to show you how easy it is to break into the space in terms of breaking in and getting paid a lot of times i interact with people who want to be in the crypto and blockchain industry as more than just an investor and speculator they want to be paid for their work but they either do not because they don't know how to or they don't believe it's possible for them i'm here to tell you it's possible for anyone who wants it bad enough i'm proof of this myself with me to talk about breaking in is a gentleman named scott wayman
1: meanwhile i was just working my regular job and you know buying crypto with part of my paycheck.
0: Scott recently turned 40. He's a former mental health professional working on a crisis response team. In late 2017, he began reading up on Bitcoin while it was bulling to all time highs.
1: I was just playing around and having fun with it and just enjoying the this, this stimulating aspect of it.
0: After educating himself the best he could, he took action on what he learned and started speculating on crypto, hoping his assets might accelerate the elimination of his student loan debts. Around that same time, he also started working in the space doing odd jobs here and there. His first paying gig was writing blogs for Crypto 101 and this is where I met Scott. He continued down the path of finding projects to do work with, exploring his passions along the way in the space when he was approached by Crypto Bridge to start working closer with them.
1: And then I had to add the little extra, you know, I I don't have to quit my job, right? You know, they're like, no, no, you don't have to do that. Um, They eventually did convince me to do that. Working
0: with CryptoBridge enabled Scott to quit his job and work full time in crypto. He is also a contributor for Pocket. Today, we are going to talk about his journey going from zero crypto work to all work in crypto. What it was like, how did he do it, and most importantly, how can you do it Right now, before I turn you over to the show, ICO 101 Podcast wants to continue helping entrepreneurs and businesses level up. If you feel like you can provide value to the community, then hit me up. Even if you are not from crypto, I want to hear from you, and you can reach me a few ways at Sup Aaron Paul or at ICO 101 Podcast on Twitter. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn at Sup Aaron Paul. And please smash that subscribe button on the podcast app you're listening to right now. So without further ado, let's get into Breaking In 101, how to get paid to work in the crypto space. Scott Wayman, welcome to ICO 101. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Scott, I'm really happy to have you on the show, dude. We have a little background now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were around 0101 when when I first got in, and uh, you've had a heck of a journey. You don't have a technical background. You found crypto and blockchain. You became obsessed with it. Then you made a decision that you wanted to make this your full-time work. I'm going to call those air quotes. (laughs) You didn't know anybody in the space, yet somehow you managed to break in. Today, what we want to do is tell the listeners about your journey, how you did it, and get them some actionable tools and tactics and a framework they can utilize to do the same as you if they choose to do so. I want to talk about how you broke in. I want to get a few rapid fire questions in. And finally, I want to end the conversation with some actionable items that the listeners can implement straight away. How does that sound to you? Sounds awesome. Glad to be here. Cool, man. Thanks, man. Man, man, I'm really, really happy you are. So, Let's start at the very beginning. And normally when I interview, I guess now for the new stuff with ICO 101, we don't really talk about the person and their background. You know, I talked talk about you in your bio, but before you got into crypto full-time, you were a social worker. Can you just give the listeners a little backstory about yourself and your journey?
1: Sure. Um, well, I went to, I went to college kind of late in life. Kind of went back at a later age. i tried it earlier and didn't really figure anything out. So I just quit and then did some other kinds of work for a while, but found that I wanted to work in that field and found a way toward becoming a mental health professional, and so I had been doing that for a few years and ended up with a really cool job. It was on a mental health crisis team, so I was part of a county department that was stationed downtown in a large metropolitan area and would respond to crisis mental health calls and then drive out and see people do mental health assessments out in the street, in people's homes, all over the place, and Mm. um, it was really stimulating and interesting. However, unfortunately, it was a very large bureaucracy, and that was the part that kind of made it less and less enjoyable over time. And concurrently with that situation, I discovered Bitcoin and started reading and thinking about that and learning other things about finance and so forth. And the two factors there converging is kind of what set me off in this newer direction that I'm on currently. So I'm in the
0: space for, gosh, I don't even know how long now. I must be in, when did I come into the space? 2017 in the summer. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Crypto 101, in, I believe it was the end of 2017, you were already writing blogs for Crypto 101. When did you start breaking into the space or in parallel with doing stuff in the space while you were working at your job?
1: It was literally pretty much right away, strangely. But have kind of a history of just becoming really, really, really focused on like one specific thing that I'm interested in and then kind of going all in on it. So I sort of did that with with Mm. this. And, you know, I had just I had just been listening to the Crypto 101 podcast episodes for about a month maybe two months at the very most, when Matthew put out a little call for writers. And he, I had, you know, I have no idea how big this podcast is. I don't know how many people are involved. Is it How long has it been around? I don't know anything like that. But he said, we're looking for writers and send me an email. And I basically just paused it and I sent an email right that very moment. Because that's That's how you get things done, I think. And then you can just you don't have to think about it. So I just did it right away. It was easy and got a response within a week, maybe even faster than that. And basically, he just started giving me tasks to do right away. And those were very simple things like, you know, to summarize the idea in an episode and get it done in a pretty quick period of time so that it could be released just after the audio aspect was out there mm-hmm. and i was only reading about bitcoin for the first time in november so by january to already be doing something actively with that industry and receiving compensation in crypto was it to me i was like what are the odds here like it seemed like a big stroke of luck to me i was surprised i even got a response i had no idea but that's how i got started and uh, just continued on with that throughout the rest of 2017 18 sorry
0: I think that most people, when they hear that call to action, won't do it right away. Maybe think about it, maybe have some limited beliefs that, oh, this person's not even going to get back to me. I'm not even going to waste my time. Is that your normal mindset? You're just going to do it? Or is that something that you've developed over time?
1: Um, I think that's that's kind of my default. I've learned a lot about myself over the years. And I kind of know that in my opinion, it takes a 100 different ideas to sort through to find that one that's really the thing that you're going to do or you're going to really focus on. And so I'm kind of all the time shuffling all these things in my head. And I don't like doing that. I'm trying to empty out my headspace, but it's always constantly filling back in with all these you should do that. Remember this, talk to that person, ask this question. All those things are always happening, so when it comes to something like just sending an email to ask a question, I by connecting with people online, it's opened many, many doors for me in the past, so I had no hesitation in doing that. What's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, no response to your email. Okay, that doesn't hurt that bad. Even a rejection yeah. is has some respect to it, you know. No thank you is okay, I can take that, you know. So, why not just send the email?
0: I think even doing it and getting rejected gained you more confidence than having never done it before, almost submitting to the fear. Uh, I agree. And and becoming fear.
1: Yeah. Getting over your own self-doubt is an achievement in and of itself. So that's why I would just try things. And sometimes doors open, sometimes they don't. Okay. (laughs)
0: So so, uh, when did your mind shift from freelancing part-time and making a stab at this full-time?
1: You know, it didn't, even, it didn't even feel like freelancing at the time. And I honestly probably would have been happy to write blogs for free just to do it, just because it's interesting to me. And it gives me a reason to pay attention to the episode and think about something and research a little deeper than I would otherwise. You know, if I listen to an episode, I might look something up and maybe I'll read a white paper or something. But if I, if I got to write about it, I definitely will. So that's kind of how it works for me. And I I set myself up to have to pursue things a little more deeply. And I'm basically like a creative person by default anyway. So that kind of situation just kind of usually happens for me. It could be, you know, this example, or it could be a different one, totally different activity. It's always the same kind of general pattern. Mm -hmm. But did you have any limiting beliefs going into this? Well, when you say limiting beliefs, I'm not sure I know what did you feel like inadequate
0: because you're new into the space and now you're working in the space? Did you have any fears as you said, hey, you know what, I'm starting to make some money and I've built some relationships and I think I can leave my secure job where I get an income and stack all of this into crypto, something that you're new at and something that you have to actually hustle for the work. You're, you're self-employed.
1: Okay. I see where you're going now. Yeah, uh, I am now for the first time in my life, actually. I see what you're asking now a little better so at first i didn't feel like it, it was freelancing it was just i'm doing this thing because it's fun and I happen to make some crypto and meanwhile I was just working my regular job and you know buying crypto with part of my paycheck and you know anybody that did that during 2018 knows what kind of position they're in now with probably holding a lot of um, bags but I just like getting my hands dirty with that stuff and that's i was just playing around and having fun with it and just enjoying the this, this stimulating aspect of it but then as i continued to do that apparently some people started to notice you know i was willing to do things and so forth and more tasks started coming my way and um you know it was never like a, me knocking on the door and saying hey I would like to do this thing and you should pay me. It was more like I'm doing some stuff and somebody asked me to do something. And then mm-hmm. after they've asked you a couple of times, they sort of, I guess, feel obligated to mention that they'll compensate you. So it was always, you know, I'm not going to turn that down. And then as that progressed and built up um, and became more and more of a thing, finally I just got this, this offer to actually really put in some substantive hours every week and be, de- you know, dependable and, um, that's when it really became a part-time thing and that was in like september i think august or september at that point that's when it started to become more more feeling like freelance and more feeling like there was something more at risk um cuz mm-hmm. i remember i i i said to them you know i'm like i thought about it and i got back to them and said yeah you know what i'll do this and then i had to add the little extra you know i i don't have to quit my job right <laughs> you know and they're like no no you don't have to do that um they eventually did convince me to do that, not not under any negative way or anything, but so it it doesn't sound like you
0: had any real hurdles or obstacles along the way. It just seems like it just happened for you, and I don't think that that's going to be for everybody. Uh, certainly, there's always hurdles, probably our biggest hurdle is ourselves but if mm-hmm. somebody is going to have now that you're on you're on the other side now you mm-hmm. work for crypto bridge and we're and we're going to talk about that more later on but now that you're on the other side of it what hurdles might somebody who's listening right now they're in your exact position they are a full-time worker they love crypto and they want to get in are there Paying gigs available? And are they, you know, would you recommend somebody say, Hey, I want to go, I want to go do something for free just to learn? And if they do so, are they just really leaving money on the table? Because it seems like there's probably an expectation on the other end that they're willing to pay if somebody just asks.
1: In my particular case, I think both times having a relationship with the person that you're dealing with is vital. So if you're just kind of, specifically trying to go and find something to do, that's going to limit your options, I think. So I would suggest that developing relationships is first and foremost, and you can do that pretty easily when you volunteer. So it doesn't mean you have to, I mean, nobody's saying you should volunteer like 40 hours a week of your time to see what happens. You know, I would volunteer a small amount of time, whatever you would utilize on your day off to do something you'd like to do otherwise, you know, like five, six hours on a Saturday or something. If, if that is a sufficient amount of time to volunteer to do something and you can get from starting to completing the task in that amount of time. What really do you have to lose other than that time? It's not that much to risk. Unless you have so many obligations, then it could be different for every person. But yeah, just, just getting involved and find because if there's a million projects out there. I mean, the, the number of projects has increased, I want to almost say like double, since I've started paying attention to it. I feel like the first time I looked at CoinMarketCap, it was like there was 1,500 projects. And now I think there's well over 3,000. So, I mean, there's a number of different people doing a number of different things. It's all in the general blockchain, cryptocurrency type stuff. And, but that's a lot of different tasks. And you can find a project that they're definitely never going to turn down volunteers. And then if you can find one that needs something, and you can demonstrate that you have the ability to do that, and you can form a relationship with those people, and you feel like you believe in what they're doing, I think that's how you can get started most easily. And since Mm -hmm. there's such a huge array of these projects, it's really just about exploring around and, and looking and seeing what's there and what strikes your interest the most, or what seems like you would want to learn about the most. And just start talking to people and seeing what these groups of people that are involved in these projects are doing. It's pretty cool the way that people are doing this stuff. It's you know a lot of around-the-clock work all across the globe, different groups of people from different countries. It's an interesting phenomenon even just to observe. But then once you get involved in it personally, it takes on a whole other dimension of things you can find out about the world and yourself.
0: Yeah. You said something that made me want to zero in on on a a point and there's a right way to go about doing this. And I would assume then there's a wrong way. And one of the things that you said that makes a lot of sense to me that I would maybe call a right way is just build a relationship, just start talking to the community Mm -hmm. that you want to be involved in. That would be something that I would consider a right way. Can you give me a couple more examples of a right way to get involved in a project and what you would think now that you're on the other side, inside a project, wrong ways?
1: I would say the right way would be to make sure you do your homework and make an effort to figure out what they're actually doing. So if you just kind of show up and you're like, Hey, I want to do something. You d- if you don't have any idea what the overall big goal is, and you don't have any idea what the smaller goals to get to the bigger goal are, it kind of points out yeah. that your, your motivations are kind of not really that pure, I guess. That's another thing I would do is, you know, just so like if you were going to invest in it too, you, you want to know what you're dealing with. So you should really, really look closely at who's involved. Do they have, you know, does anybody have a good reputation? Do they have a bad reputation? Does, does it sound like it makes sense? What does it look like? Does it you know, Do other people seem to have a good opinion of it? The people that are involved, what is their attitude? What is the, what's the mood of the group of people? All these kinds of things are really important to figure out before you actually engage with them. And it's easy to do with, you know, social media, all the different kinds of chat programs that you can use like Discord or Telegram. You can quietly observe these things and not do anything and that's a huge way to get a lot of information and if it's not going to be good for you, you're probably going to know right away and then you can just rule it out and move on to the next one.
0: So homework is one right way. What is the right way to actually make contact?
1: I think it would be it's probably best to feel out what methods the community itself uses most. So in my opinion, Twitter is for a group of people. Twitter is not the place you want to talk to them. You want to talk to them in real time. You want to talk to them in Telegram or Discord. But you can learn a lot by seeing how their their Twitter feed is operated. Reddit is sort of like in between because it's not real time, but it can be more substantive than just like tweets are. I don't like scrolling down a big long thing that's like all chopped up and if you click the wrong thing, then you can't figure out where you're going back to and all that. But paying attention to what the community likes to do in terms of how it self-organizes and, and try to go with the flow on that rather than just <laughs> incessantly tagging on Twitter one you know question after question or something. And you want to figure out the way that they talk to themselves and meet them where they are. Right. Would you then just say that
0: the wrong way is the exact opposite of the right way? Yeah. Not
1: doing your homework, not feeling out the
0: community and just doing random tags to try to get attention, but really you're just getting attention yeah. the wrong way.
1: <laughs> well, and another another way to know if you're doing it the wrong way is if no one, literally no one is responding to you or anything like that, you're probably doing mm-hmm. it wrong. But <laughs> put yourself in the shoes of other people and imagine, well, would they want to be accosted in this way or whatever? So don't, don't do that.
0: Hey, man, you know what? That's such a simple answer. And and it rings so true. And I bet that it doesn't always look like that. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to get to some real quick questions and I want to get into some actionable tools that people can get into. Uh, So just real quick questions. I got some rapid fire questions for you. You don't have to spend all day on it. If you want to elaborate a little bit more, you can. But it's not necessary. The first question I have for you is what are the best platforms to talk to team members directly?
1: In my opinion, it's Discord because of the way that the channels can be organized. It's very flexible. It's appealing to look at, I think. And it's just it's as deep as it needs to be. So you, you can have channels with sub channels and they can restrict who can post and who can't per channel and those kinds of things and you can lay them out how you like so it can be the most important stuff's at the top and that kind of thing. <laughs> I know a lot of people like Telegram as well. I use it because other people use it. I wouldn't use it if I didn't have other people that I needed to talk to on there, but I can use that. think it's probably but team members are on there directly though. Yeah, because some teams don't use Discord at all. And and they mm-hmm. use Telegram only. So if that's their deal you gotta kinda go where they are. Um, I don't like telegram cause it's sort of this monolithic, it's just one big old school chat that's so tall and I just can't feel, I don't feel like I can find anything in there. I don't want to, I don't like looking around in there, but in my opinion, any good project has a discord, but there's lots of huge projects that don't have that at all. So I don't know. depends on what it is, but. If we're talking about grassroots, smaller type stuff, they usually have a Discord, you know, community-based type projects. You're more like, you know, VC-funded kinds of things. Those are less community-based and therefore more likely to have like a Telegram than than a Discord. Um, But you should look at everything. Mm -hmm. You should look at Reddit. You should look at Twitter and use all of those things that they have because most of them will try to have all of them. I guess Facebook too, but I don't use Facebook at all. I I don't even know what's on there, but I'm assuming they use a lot of Facebook too. Use each one of these as an aggregate to determine what you really think the the most activity is. That's the one you want to use to find people and talk to them.
0: What's the best way to scout a company's needs?
1: Well, um, a lot of times they might have if so. If it has like a governance aspect to to a project, then you can look at their whatever. However, they post their things on their proposals and so forth. So sometimes they people just propose things like, mm-hmm. "I think this should happen," and they're and I'm willing to do it. And other times they can post things like, "We need this. Is there anybody that's willing to do it?" And I would say that mm-hmm. would be a, a easy go to if they have that. If they don't. You can just kind of observe what the current goals are and what the tasks are that they're working on and see if there's any gaps, especially if there's a gap that you feel like you're especially suited to fill, then that's where you wanna zero in on that and go for it. So to, to be specific, Um, With CryptoBridge, they released a new website in the summer 2018. But to myself and another person, Mm -hmm. it was clear right away that the content had been written by someone that doesn't speak English as their primary language. So, you know, right away I was like, "Uh, this needs to be proofread. You know, so I just offered to proofread it. And that's kind of how that whole opportunity came about was observing a need that might not be apparent to them because if you don't speak english as your primary language you might not realize how obvious it would be to someone that does speak english as a primary language and being respectful and offering to help make it better i think that's kind of wraps up a lot of the other things i've mentioned previously about how to it's kind of all of it in one one action
0: Phil, Phil Zamani from Ergo said the same thing. He said that you just reminded me of that, you know, somebody saw their project Mm -hmm. and had felt like they could do, there was an area of their project that he felt like they could do better at. And so what he did was he just did the work and he submitted Mm -hmm. it to him and said, Hey, I think you guys need to do this, this, and this. It was completely for free. And they ended up hiring the guy because it was a, it was, it really was a big gap in what they were doing and that guy created so much value that it was a no-brainer for them to bring them in the door. So I think that's a really good advice there. So I want you to put your platform hat on, CryptoBridge. From a marketing and communication standpoint, what tactics would you like to see avoided from entrepreneurs and small businesses in this space?
1: It's a good question. Um, I feel like uh, this industry, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, there are just blatant obvious scams that try to prey on people and they use the same techniques that quality projects use (laughs) because quality marketing works yeah you know if it engages people and and creates interest it may not represent the underlying intent so i guess it's kind of hard to say what not to do because you can do the same thing but with two different starting points you can have totally different outcomes
0: It's the intent. Yeah. You're talking about intention. Yeah. At the end of the day, it just becomes whether or not you feel like this person's intentions are true or malicious.
1: Yeah. I mean, just look at BitConnect, Hmm. for example, it's obvious one to point to their marketing worked because it told a story, join our community and invest in this project and we'll, we'll share the interest with you. And there are legitimate projects that do the exact same thing, except they're not a Ponzi scheme, (laughs) you know, so... I really don't know how to answer that question. The last rapid
0: fire question I have for you, what's it like to get paid in crypto?
1: What's it like? It's pretty, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit terrifying until it's happened a few times and then uh, it becomes less, less so (laughs) with each, with each payment. What's terrifying about it? What's terrifying about it is, well, you know, you can always screw up. Once it's in your hands, you can always screw up. You can somehow like <laughs> send a transaction incorrectly and then like destroy your own funds. So that's kind of scary. I haven't done that really not with money that I've earned, but, you know, I've like lost wallet passwords and stuff. So
0: <laughs> I lost you. Hey, back up. Uh, I lost a little, the internet got a little bit choppy. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So you, I mean, the, there's always the risk that you could do some irreversible, erroneous action involving your own funds, even when, you know, it's it has nothing to do with the the other person that sent them to you you, you just mess up somehow um, that's a little bit scary but i think having consistent like a specific number of steps and things that you do in a routine fashion that's the way to not screw up so you know i always send a test transaction always create a new address when moving funds around um, the other scary part is sort of you know, when it's the first time and you don't really, you haven't really gone through the process. I practiced a little bit, but most of my experience had been sending fiat to Gemini and then buying Bitcoin with it and then sending the Bitcoin somewhere else. Whereas then it turned into sending Bitcoin to Gemini, having to trade it for USD and then transferring that to my bank account, not knowing like how long that's going to take, or is that going to be on time for me to pay my bills? And, you know, having stuff set up in advance sort of, Anticipating a wait time has worked for me, but you know, sometimes it's a little bit close and I don't really like that and it's it's sort of like, man, I really need that trade to go through or I need, you know, I need this or kind of don't like that, but I think just planning is the best thing to alleviate those fears. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, how does an entrepreneur get
0: get a company's attention in this space? What can they do? What is if you were to say if you were if somebody were to call you up right now and say, "Hey Scott, I have this and this strength, and I want to get into a company. What is step one, step two, step three? What is the process for me to get this company's attention and to start getting paid?
1: I would say first step is have no expectations. The second step would be engage effectively. Find people that you can talk to that seem like there's, there would be a need and engage with them effectively. Don't twist their arm at any time. Don't try to punch the door down. Don't do anything like that. See who they are, get to know them, you know, be a human being. And then the third thing I would say is to demonstrate competence. Do something that they need and do it well and just be cool about it. Just Here's some stuff I did. What do you think? You know, and be prepared for no response at all. Have that be your expectation that nobody's going to respond and no one's going to care. And then if that does indeed happen, nothing went wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and what
0: would you say to that person that's on the other end right now, who's afraid that the other person's going to say no, or that they're not going to respond to them, or that the work that they do is going to get rejected? What would you say to that person?
1: Uh, I would say that that's just part of life in general, and you need to be able to accept that um, possibility. You know that happens in every regard. So, but if it's it's sort of the same thing as um, if you want to speculate on an altcoin, it's nothing venture nothing gained so you need to to make Mm -hmm. i mean a life filled with no risks at all is going to be pretty pretty dull because even failures teach you a lot and if anything they teach you how to what not do so you can do something and, and fail or not succeed in the way you would like and then just use that as an experience to adapt your approach the next time And I realize this too, people are busy as hell. (laughs) So, you know, it, sometimes it's literally just, oh my God, I didn't respond to your message because I had 30 messages in that hour or something. True. It can be stuff like that too. I mean, this is a crazy, weird thing to be involved with. And it's 24 seven. I mean, it's like, it's just crazy. No, nothing compares to it. It's it's insanity. And that's what's fun about it. I think it's always stimulating. It's always interesting, but it's also chaotic and chaos can work against us at times. So we need to reckon that and uh, not let it be the defining characteristic.
0: Scott, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, where can people find out more about you? Where can they find out more about CryptoBridge and just where can they reach out to you and say, what's up?
1: Really, the best way to find out what I'm up to is just to find me and talk to me. So I'm usually in Discord. That's probably the best way to reach me directly. Um, CryptoBridge, you can go to the website, Crypto-Bridge.org or um, come to our Discord channel and just see what we're doing. You can go to the trading interface, which is wallet.crypto-bridge.org and see what's going on over there. We have some Twitter content that we're ramping up now. And I think Discord's still the best place though. That's where you can talk to, I mean, you can talk to the founders, they're in there, just regular people like anything else. You can talk to me, they can talk to the rest of the team, anybody.
0: And I'll, I'll link all this in the show notes. Scott, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. Appreciate you. No problem. Boom. Thank you. That's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Scott, for talking to us today. If you are interested in getting a hold of Scott for help breaking into the space or to learn more about CryptoBridge, please check out the links on the show notes. Please subscribe to us. Follow me and the podcast on the socials, on Twitter, at Paul at ICO101Podcast as well. And if you want more of the formal connection, then let's hook up on LinkedIn, at SupAaronPaul don't forget to check out my friend Matthew Aaron on Crypto 101 Podcast to further your crypto education. And thank you, Randy, for the hookup on the audio edits. Until next time, peace.